Hello and welcome to this podcast from Regen and the Electricity Storage Network. My name is Bruce Bardsley and I'm an energy analyst at Regen. I'm joined today by Ray Arrell, who is our head of technical development. And for those who do not know Regen, we are an independent center of energy expertise and insight with a focus on accelerating the transition to a net zero energy system. We also manage the Electricity Storage Network, which is the only UK industry organization dedicated to supporting electricity storage. This podcast is part of the wider ESN Annual Marketplace, which is a series of live presentation sessions, discussions, and content taking place on the 26th and 27th of January. And you can find out more about this online, book your tickets, which are free, and hopefully join us there. So today's podcast is an in-depth look at the electricity storage pipeline. I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Ray, who's been at Regen since 2017, and he's developed some of Regen's work on understanding the growth, business models, and operation of electricity storage assets. So Ray, great to be with you. I know you've had your head buried deep in auction registers and planning databases, so tell us a bit more about what you've been up to. Yeah, thanks Bruce. Um, yeah, great to be here as well. Uh, thanks for having me, a uh, chance to get some of this analysis uh, out of my head. I've been really interested in in the sort of growth and rise of of the battery storage sector uh, since commercial storage kind of became a thing really in, in 2016. Obviously it existed as a, as a technology uh, before that, but really we started to see projects and the sector establishing itself and picking up uh, from then on. Since that time, uh, we've put out a number of insight papers. We've dug into a load of individual projects through the distribution future energy scenarios work that we have undertaken with a couple of the UK DNOs. And we've also worked with the members of the ESN uh, to understand the sector in a bit more detail. So as part of all that work, um, I've periodically grabbed a load of project data from various places to see what the pipeline um, has kind of looked like and, how, and to see how it's evolved. And I guess one sort of headline point for today the topic we're talking about is that across the past five to six years the trend is only really in one direction and that is up whether that's the number of projects the overall capacity that's looking to connect the average size of individual assets or even the duration of storage um, discharge or charge everything has only really gone up okay so what kind of scale of growth is that well i guess well in 2017 say we were we were seeing maybe 100 to 120 projects around two gigawatts bidding into the UK capacity market or frequency response tenders. Um, and there's probably about three to four gigawatts of sites inquiring to connect on the distribution or transmission networks. Wind the clock forward to today, uh, or as of the end of last year, actually, which is kind of what this data is based around. Um, and if we were to total every project that submitted a connection inquiry or has a connected contract with the DNOs or the transmission operators, that number now has hit 34 gigawatts. Now you can see, you know, from, from that figure, there's a lot that's hidden behind that. Operational storage that's actually built and online and doing things is just under four gigawatts, about 3.8. And most of that is legacy pumped hydro connected to the transmission network in Wales and Scotland. But we've also breached um, a one gigawatt um, of new battery storage connected to the system on top of that, which is, you know, a significant milestone. And a 
big proportion of that is connected um, at lower voltage levels on the distribution network. So, hmm. yeah, it's interesting to see whilst there's that big number, what we're actually seeing connected or imminently connected is, is a bit less. Yeah. Well, yeah, 34 gigawatts sounds absolutely huge. There have been various numbers floating around around how much storage we will actually need. Mm, yeah. We have Bayes and Ofgem modeling, uh, which they've done as part of their smart systems and flexibility plan, suggesting that 30 gigawatts of flexibility will be needed by 2030. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, of course, not just energy storage, but that includes interconnection and smart charging, um, all other forms of flexibility. But that 34 gigawatt headline would suggest the pipeline is way more than we need. Mm. Um, and would you say that's that's the case? Do we do we have more than enough? How many of these will actually be deployed? It's a great question. And I think, yeah, so it's one of the big questions the sector is pondering when I'm sure I'm not the only one or we're not the only organization looking at this data. Um, and it is a snapshot. That figure is a snapshot of everything that we have sight of. Inquiries, offers, connected sites, planning, of anything that classifies um, as a storage asset. So I think it's fair to say that some of these or a big proportion of these inquiries are speculative. I think it's fine to say that it almost certainly includes uh, multiple projects pursuing the same capacity on the network or even land space to develop projects. And I reckon also some developers are submitting multiple connection inquiries to the networks for the same project, essentially seeking that that sort of capacity sweet spot uh, for, for the asset that they're trying to develop. Okay, so so hard to say exactly how much, but if you were to have a guess at a more more reasonable figure for the near term future, what what would you be saying? Also, a great question. It's hard to say, um, and the reason I guess is that some projects, for example, uh, that are in very early inquiry stage. They could well have a very focused developer, have strong financial support or even closure, a well-defined asset class and business model, and they could go on to rapidly progress through planning, signing a connection agreement, and then building out. Equivalently, from the analysis that we've done from those um, scenario studies for the DNOs, there are a whole wedge of projects that have previously accepted connection offers, for example, a 50 megawatt battery um, that has not progressed for two to three years or more beyond that acceptance. So the mm. simple answer is that 34 gigawatts, I would say, isn't going to connect anytime soon, without a doubt, for sure. That is a big speculative figure. But if you dig into planning, for example, the Renewable Energy Planning Database has some great data around 20%, say about seven gigawatts of that overall figure has secure planning approval or is imminently going to be constructed. 10% um, of that figure has secured capacity agreements in various capacity market auctions. So a realistic figure, you ask me, from the 4 gig today, potentially that might grow to, say, 10 gigawatts in the near term, with a large speculative pipeline of further projects waiting in the wings for the right market and the right revenue opportunity to come along. Right, okay. So... So, so far, we've talked electricity storage in general, but um, in terms of technologies, there's some some variations in there. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned batteries, I believe, already. Uh, is it fair to say that battery storage is the dominant technology in this pipeline? It is, absolutely. Nail on the head. Um, I would say modular, probably electrochemical batteries account for most 
of the capacity that we see. It's not a surprise to anyone. Uh, battery storage projects are dominating the pipeline. If we look at the embedded capacity registers that the DNOs publish, I would say 99% of the capacity that have accepted connections are classed as batteries. There are, however, a couple of small-scale pumped hydro sites that we're seeing, a couple of hundred megawatts, which is really interesting to see pumped hydro sort of dropping down and, and connecting at smaller scale. There are a handful of other storage classes as well. These could be liquid air, these could be compressed air, or possibly flow batteries if they're classified slightly differently. Mm. Um, and yeah, on the transmission network, it's really interesting to see an equivalent dominance of batteries, mm. but also we've got about 800 megawatts of new pumped hydro looking to connect in Scotland. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's not all batteries, Bruce, but I would say a big lion's share of what we're seeing in the near-term pipeline is definitely dominated by batteries. Okay. Um, you mentioned there the transmission level units, and uh, yeah. so from from what you've showed, the uh, the pipeline is uh, slowly, well, say dominated by distribution level units at the moment. For but sure. we but we see more transmission level units coming through in scoping, and uh, we have a, a session dedicated to this. We do uh, in we the do. in the marketplace, the ESN dash to transmission. So we'll have some developers discussing the network benefits and the reasons why we're, we're getting more and more sites coming through at the transmission level. So, so definitely check that out for more information. And so back to this, Ray, you've talked about the overall picture, the technologies, um, but what about the size of these projects? We have the pipeline going up rapidly, but, but does that mean the individual projects are scaling up as well? Yes, it is. I would say that that's absolutely the case as well. I mean, taking a step back, you know, some of the work we've done, we've, we've looked to classify um, storage in what we used to de determine as business models for storage or asset classes. Mm. So you could, you could look at storage assets as sort of home batteries, for example, working up from the bottom, households looking to make more use of their on-site on rooftop PV generation. If you go up a scale, you've got businesses and commercial premises looking to install storage assets on-site to help their businesses with costs and on-site energy management. Then you go up a scale again, um, sort of grid-scale storage assets, and that's where it gets really interesting. Multiple megawatt sites, either standalone or possibly looking to co-locate um, with generation, uh, whether that's wind, solar, uh, marine, or even sort of fossil fuel gas peaking plants as mm -hmm. well. Um, so yeah, so the, 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 the breadth of scale has always been there, mm. um, but I think in terms of the actual capacity of individual projects, that's also gone up, Bruce. I'd say uh, from a few years ago, we were seeing maybe 10 to 20 megawatts, and then we had a whole tranche of sites that were targeting sort of 40 to 50. Why, you ask? Um, the reason for that is heavily influenced by the planning regime. Okay. So up until 2020, we had some basically a, a mandate where anything that was above 50 megawatts would fall into the nationally significant infrastructure planning regime. Uh, but in 2020, this was a change to a piece of legislation um, that basically meant bigger projects could bypass the, the NSIP regime and fall under local planning. And that has meant a big increase in individual site capacities in the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. You're starting to see storage projects of 100 megawatts 500 megawatts or even bigger. Um, I remember the announcement that Semcor put out of a 360 megawatt battery project in 
in the Wilton Industrial Estate in, near Teesside. That's a monster. That, that I think that would be the biggest battery project in Europe okay. um, once it's built. Uh, you know, so the rise of the mega battery is upon us, basically. Oh, God. <laughs> so, um, so some deregulation has led to these, like, swelling asset sizes, which hopefully is all good news. I mean, we need all this storage capacity after all. That Semcorp project you mentioned, it's uh, located at Teesside. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I guess there's, there's issues, well, a discussion to be had around where we're putting all this storage. For sure. Um... At the moment, we have it mainly on the distribution network, as I said, and there's a, a general leaning towards the south and the east of England, where at the moment we have the most storage capacity. But uh, through your through your analysis, where do you see the most storage connecting in the future? Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's an interesting one in terms of where and why. I mean, yes, we we've obviously got the as I said, the legacy pumped hydro is is. Where it's located, kind of, kind of, because of hydro resource essentially, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the the battery storage connection um, with such a large, widespread pipeline that we've got to look at here, it's difficult to hone in on clusters, I guess. Um, but there are factors determining, uh, you know, what, why there for battery developers, I guess. That includes simply capacity in the network. So where there's headroom, where there's proximity to substations. That also supports speed of response for rapid response services if they're near the substation mm-hmm. um, and the availability to connect at that point. Um, also, I think co-location is really interesting, whether it's physically co-located or even cooperation with renewable energy could be a factor. So that means solar generation in the south where radiance is strong or wind power in, in, in Scotland, mm-hmm. for example, where, where it's strong. Um, and I think there's another number of other sort of market triggers so locational network charging reforms that could affect the cost of connecting in one part of the country compared to another and you know specific markets like the national grid stability pathfinders is a great example where you know they're looking for services on the borderlands and in scotland Mm -hmm. and obviously you know developers are going to go after those opportunities and they need to be in it to win it geographically to to get in so so far we've covered power capacity like the, the size of the pipe as it were but what about the the size of the tank the duration of uh energy storage which is being deployed what what can you tell us about the pipeline in that regard that's great that's a great question i think duration is harder to look at and i, and I what i mean by that is the data available around duration is is less available you know like any other sort of energy asset a lot of the currency that we see in the data that's put out there is around plated power capacity, as you said, uh, you know, the megawatts. And I think, you know, if we're looking at a storage project, the size of the tank, as you put it, the, the, the duration or hours of charge up or discharge can depend massively on a number of different things. It depends on what technology it is. It could depend on how that individual project is designed, the physical connection arrangement on site, and also the sophistication of the control system. Um, you know, can can vary, you know, how long it can charge up or discharge for. So putting an absolute figure of hours of storage against that power, mm-hmm. so the megawatt hours rather than the megawatts, it's really tricky to do. And I think it's it might change and evolve mm-hmm. as, as markets change as well. So, you know, there, there is a, a view we can take. So the, the capacity market registers, for example, 
Um, they do have information around um, storage duration because uh, this affects their derated capacity, as they call it, and therefore the financial rewards they're able to secure if they get a contract. Um, so sort of summarizing this data, we can kind of see a range, unsurprisingly, a load of 30 minute or one hour batteries bidding into these auctions. But there are also energy storage assets that are two hours, three hours or four hours uh, being classified as well. And I think even one that's five. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So I think, again, like everything else, duration is going upwards and the potential for sustained discharge or charge um, is going to improve the versatility of storage assets as markets evolve as well. Okay. At this point, it's probably wise to bring the listeners' attention to another session on the ESN marketplace, where we'll be focused on the role, focusing on the role of long duration storage. And Ray, you will be chairing that. Indeed, excellent plug, Bruce. Yeah, we're going to dive into, you know, what's the need for long duration? You know, why do we need it? What benefits does it bring? Mm -hmm. What's stopping it from being built? What technologies can do it? That kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it'd be good to, to dwell on it a bit more. Yeah, looking session. forward to that. So, um, what are some remaining questions you have on this pipeline? Personally, I'm I'm interested in the potential of other technologies to come and disrupt the dominance of lithium ion, which we have at the moment. I think that's just a fascinating area. So do you think this is likely in the near term? It's, I mean, one thing that kind of looking at this over the past few years is, is how rapidly it evolves. So it's a mm. pipeline that evolves in size. Yes, there, there is some sense of technology diversity. The dominance of solid state batteries, as you say, is is there hmm. but yeah I, I think you know what will connect and what will come on and what will those projects be doing to benefit the system is all going to change and evolve as we get more renewables on the system as we electrify more of our transport whether that's road or otherwise more of our heat and therefore demand is going to change and increase then you know what storage will need to do and what the system will need storage to do for it mm. um, will massively evolve. And so I don't think, I mean, whilst batteries are meeting the demands of today, which is rapid response, short duration stability services, which will always be there, I think other needs of the system will also follow mm -hmm. and therefore other technologies will come in to meet those. Batteries will adapt to supply some of them as well. And it's a fascinating time. I think to see, you know, what how markets going to evolve, what the system operator says they need in ten years' time, in five years' time, compared to today, and what technology developers do to respond to that. Mm -hmm. Yep, certainly, technology will adapt yep. to the system. UK has always been good at innovation. Absolutely, um, a centre of storage innovation, really. Really is, yeah. So, all good news there, and very exciting time for the industry. So finally, you've, you've looked at a lot of data, obviously, to produce this analysis. And as we know, energy data is a bit uh, questionable at times, can be hard to work with, um, maybe to put it lightly. But how have you found it? Yeah, I think uh, questionable is one way of putting it. I think, you know, like any other sources of data, it doesn't answer every question. And sometimes it raises more questions than you're trying to answer. But I think one thing I would say is, you know, the energy data 
in terms of project registration information, mm. which has fed this kind of analysis, has really improved over the past few years as I've looked at it. Uh, whether that's storage information being included in the renewable energy planning database, the publication of embedded capacity registers by all the DNOs, and as I said, some of the fields in the capacity market registers. Mm. Um, there's lots of info out there, and if you kind of trowel bits of it and, and lift out what you need to inform some of these trends, you know, it, it is there. But, you know, there's also some inconsistencies inevitably between some of the registers. You know, the transmission level data is different to the distribution mm -hmm. in some sense. So I guess, you know, my blue sky request you know, would be to have a single generation and storage project connection register that all of the UK networks contribute to mm -hmm. with consistent fields, tech classifications, one register to rule them all basically would be, I'd love that. And I think you know, others in the sector would hopefully agree that that would be, that'd be really good to see. Mm -hmm. And more info on duration. You know, we talked about the lack of duration info. I realise what I said is because it's hard to define duration, but it would be, it's probably going to be more important uh, or as important to, to sort of define storage projects in terms of physical size, what it can do in markets, the impact on the networks, how it's assessed in planning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Duration is going to become as important a feature mm -hmm. as the power output. So, um, yeah. It's an, yeah, interesting stuff, and we can always get more data and, and regen will process it if you give it to us. I can <laughs> say that will. for sure. <laughs> yes, you're right. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Ray. Uh, really interesting chatting to you. Don't forget to check out the rest of the ESN Marketplace content. It's all free, so go ahead and register for a ticket again on the 26th and 27th of January. And as well as that, look out for other podcasts, blogs, insight papers from regen, We'll be putting them out over the course of the year and onwards. It's really a fascinating time to get involved in the industry or just follow along with what's happening because uh, it's all changing and uh, we'll continue to push to transform it for a zero carbon future. So again, thanks, Ray. Thanks, Bruce. Been really good to talk. Bye.